You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So I want us to stay still in the attitude of prayer, just even as Quentin has been praying there. So let's, let's just pray a bit more. Lord Jesus, we recognize this morning, Lord, that you are the head of your church. And Lord, that doxa is a local expression of your body. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to welcome you in our midst, for you've said that two or more gathered in your name, that you are there also. And so, Lord, right now, to strip away every religious spirit that is in us, that we would have expectation that as you move amongst us, we would Behold your glory. That in a sense, we would encounter you this morning. So Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you. Holy Spirit, why don't you you help us this morning? Give us ears that hear and eyes that see. And may everything that belongs to Jesus be made plain to us. We pray this in your powerful name, Lord. Amen. Amen. I haven't stood up here for a while, so it's like a... Very bright light up there. Um, I have to print out paper in case the electronics doesn't work. All right. Okay. So I do I do want to pick up a little bit um, on where David left off last week, and I think many of you would remember that we are preaching through a series in two Corinthians, and last week we spoke a little bit about. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and a couple of things that popped out, um, if you were in the life group, some of those things would have been very alive to you, and um, so the first thing I want to do is I just want to disarm the whole one guy up here preaching and you guys all sitting as spectators, so I really believe that God's word says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Sometimes you don't always remember the truth though, right? So... Um, I think one of the things which um, pastors wonder often or preachers is how much of what I've said or what the preacher has said or what David has said is actually retained. And so we're going to have a little test this morning. <laughs> and I'm going to get off the stage thing. And so this is like, I can see everybody's like, quickly, where's the cell phone? Let me look up the notes. <laughs> can I tell you, if you have to look it up in the notes, it never changed you. It never impacted your life enough to really usher in the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm putting you on the spot now because I'm going to do a little bit of an open mic thing and ask you what stood out to you last week as God's word was preached. Okay, all books closed. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. It can be one word, one line, just an impression. Any volunteers? Okay, I can see Sarah's right in the back there. Stephen's next. Um, what stood out most to me was at the very beginning of seven, I believe, it talks about how we are jars of clay. And um, I had just been reading Genesis where God created people and he created us all out of clay, but he puts the treasure within us. And like the treasure being like we're going through these hard times, but we're crushed, we're not crushed, we're not abandoned. So. We're imperfect, but at the same time, like, he supports us through it. 
Awesome. So hopefully you haven't taken Stephen's line there. So the big thing is we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. Things are going to hurt in this world, but we're not to lose heart. I mean, that's amazing. We have God who went through so much more that we could ever go through. And, I mean, that's just it's beautiful. It's empowering. Right. Isn't it? Okay. We've we lots of volunteers. See, I don't have to preach today. We just let God's word flow. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that... Uh, that uh, passage last week just uh, reminds us that the same God that raises Christ from the dead in the New Testament is is one day going to raise us all as followers back to life. Something Stephen said to me about three weeks ago, he probably doesn't even remember it. Why do we make something that is so simple so hard? All right. Okay, so I'm encouraged. Okay. I hope David kind of asked you questions next week. What do you remember? But... Anyway, okay, all right, so, so I do want to remind us of some of the um, verses that David did preach about, because this is a series, we want to see the progression of what God's Word is doing, kind of how it works in us, and, and kind of how it affects our now, so maybe before I get into that, um, I did see, anyone got a sermon outline here? We can just read the sermon outline quickly, anyone got one? Okay, there's one, okay, all right, so I'll, I'll get these out of the way, just in case the sermon goes a little awry, and we end up somewhere else. Okay, so I saw Connie come in this morning, and she's a real estate agent, and I kind of thought, wow, this is appropriate. She's going to get this. Um, so there's a common English saying that says, home is where the heart is. Okay, and so even as we get ready for God's word this morning, one of the questions I'd ask you is like, where is your heart this morning? Because see, where your heart is, that's what you're going to make your home. Um. Passages we're going to read this morning are in Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10. And so I've kind of given three outlines, and I'm going to try and hang the sermon, the sermon or the message on these three, and it, we could get a bit more emphasis in some of them. Um, our forever home. Our forever home. And so if you're in real estate or you watch like HG channel, you know, where they do all these, sometimes the term comes up, my forever home. And, and one of the things I've noticed is that even people that design the best possible home, um, as they... As they finish that process, there's always a few things that they wish they'd done different. Isn't that a lot? So, so in a sense, part of what we're going to speak about this morning is we are looking forward to a forever home. There's some struggles in the temporary life that we're living right now, the temporary home that we reside in. But, man, we have to have a vision for what it is that we're walking into. Right? And then... If you're in property and you look into your forever home, there's this whole thing of earnest money. Anyone know about earnest money or the deposit or the what? Yeah, well, some guys just recently bought homes or in the process of selling homes. And so there's something about the kingdom of heaven. God doesn't give us money, but he gives us the Holy Spirit. Okay, He's the deposit, the third person of God, the one who gives us the ability to experience a bit of the age to come, not the fullness until Jesus comes back. But man, we get to taste it. We begin to see what it does in our broken bodies. We begin to see how it has the capacity to even bring dead things to life. And then the third area, which I'm hopefully going to get in there, the Home Rewards Program of the Kingdom. Third point, okay? And the third point is, the Kingdom of Heaven, in a sense, has a rewards program. Many of us are so obsessed with just qualifying for the program that we forget about the rewards. Okay, some of us will get to that place 
like the Bible says, like one who's just escaped from a fire. And if you've just escaped from a fire, your house is burnt down, you know you leave with nothing. You enter into life with barely anything. Right? That, that's, that's what the phrase means. But there's a rewards program in the kingdom of heaven, and we're going to touch a little bit on that today. Are you excited? I'm so, all right. <laughs> Man, I can't contain myself. Yeah, okay. Verse, okay, chapter 4, verse 7 says, treasure in jars of clay. So Sarah brought that up and says, the part that caught me about the treasure in the jars of clay, there's actually multiple treasure in there. One of the treasures is the life that God has breathed into us. So He loves us. The Word of God says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that what it says? But then it also says that there is an extraordinary power that belongs to God and has not come from us. It's also living in this tent. We can talk a little bit more about that. Okay. So that was from last week. And then um, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 says, Therefore we do not despair. And I think Stephen touched on this. So you guys are good. Eh? I'll tell you, you picked up all the main points. We do, do not despair. And even if our physical body is wearing away. Anyone here whose physical body is not wearing away? Isn't it amazing how we put huge amounts of effort into to kind of get this body to be in peak condition? Like, picking on Tanika, yeah? she runs like, I don't know how many, 70 miles, 30 miles a week or something like that. And I'm thinking like, girl, you're wearing yourself out. But it's like, you know, like all of us have this thing. We, we want to be in the best kind of body that we can. Um, Lynn keeps telling me, my, you know, mine's a bit rounded as you get on with age. And the older you get, the harder you, you know, it's harder it is to maintain this body, okay? All right, okay, so, so as we look at all of that, we see that in this world we'll have suffering, but the eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, um, because we're looking not to what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. What can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. And so I want to I propose, even as we go through the passages this morning, that in a sense, we give most of our lives to what can be seen. We give very little to what cannot be seen. And yet, the things that can be seen are passing away. Can you see the futility of that? So, we're going to get into scripture this morning and read it. I'm going to read it from an NET translation. Um, living by faith and not by sight. Starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Read through all the... All 10 verses straight away, and then we'll jump into some highlights. Can I share this with you? That you know, when you're preparing for a message, I don't know if you've ever had that, like where God shows you something. You say, Oh, God, that's so cool. You know, I, I hope I can present it in an accurate way, you know, on, on Sunday. And then, like 10 minutes before the service, God shows you something else, and you're like, Oh, Lord, can I try and squeeze that in as well? You know, and then uh, you've got this long list, and then you know, like in 40 minutes, you're just never going to do it. So, <laughs> So I trust that you'll catch some highlights this morning, but can I encourage you that you read these scriptures for yourself, that God can speak to you. The Spirit of God will show you everything that belongs to Jesus. So from verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house, the tent we live in, is dismantled, we have a building from God, a house not built with human hands that is eternal in the heavens. So I'll just pause there. So, so Paul's changing gears. He's kind of saying that before he was talking about, you know, these jars of clay and whatever he's now using a tent or a house or a dwelling place 
as, as a bit of an analogy for us to be able to understand some of the things that are eternal. So verse 2 says this, For in this earthly house we groan. Anybody here groan? I wouldn't believe it because, you know, every morning on a Sunday when the guys walk through, how are you? Man, I'm all right, man. How are you? Yeah. So in life group, you kind of take the facade off a little bit and you get to let your hair down a little bit and you begin to show the real you. All right. Okay. So anyway, so in this body we groan. Because we desire to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, after we have put on our heavenly house, we will not be found na naked. I would highlight that in my Bible. So, what's the Bible saying? I could put on my heavenly house and still be found to be naked? Okay, it's a question. For we groan while we are in this tent, since we are weighed down. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And so, can I say, there's, there's something that the Word of God speaks about the nakedness of the human condition. Kind of saw it in the Garden of Eden. The first thing after they sin, what do they do? Try and cover, right? Isn't that right? So there's something about the fallen nature of man that, that makes us embarrassed about our nakedness before God. Okay? Anyone go running down the main street in Spartanburg naked? Just wouldn't do it, right? Please tell them you're not from Doxa Church. Okay. All right. Okay. I've just now got that image in my mind and I can't get out of it. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, the one who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Therefore, we are always full of courage. How often? Sometimes. We're always full of courage. And we know that as long as we live here on the earth, we are absent from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. And thus we are full of courage and would be, prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So then whether we are alive or away, we make it our ambition to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one of you may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. So even as I'm reading this, you can immediately start seeing where some of these points are going to hang. The reward he's speaking about here is not the great watch throne judgment. This is not about whether you're going to end up in heaven or hell. He's talking about... Oh, I better not spoil it. I'll wait to point three. <laughs> right. Okay, so, so I want to highlight just a few points that came out there to me as we, as we look at this picture of our forever home. Um, if you could imagine what is the best final um, state that you could possibly be in, um, the culmination, the culmination of everything that you've experienced in this life that is sufficient for you for eternity. Okay, so, so in this temporal life, we get to see brokenness. We, we kind of get to see in part. We, 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 we follow a journey where we think we know what we want. When eternity comes, that house that you get is forever. It's like you don't change it after that point. I don't know why the Lord did it like that. I would have rather like, Lord, give me the new body. Get rid of all this weakness. And then I'll run the race so that I can qualify for the more. And maybe there's more of that. The Bible doesn't speak much about that. But what it does say is that you 
in this life, the whole journey of sanctification, what you do in the body is tied to your rewards that you'll see in heaven. Isn't that a scary thought? How many guys have heard preachers on that? No one? Somebody must. Okay, one. Oh, I'm getting worried. All right. Okay. So, let, let, me, let me just put a, a few items in here. Um, has anyone ever lived in temporary housing? Finnegan. I can pick on them because they're staying in my house at the moment. It's temporary, you see. Um, but it's like, it, it's, it's part of the human nature. It's like when you're in the place where you know it's not your own, it's like you, it's almost like you've got roller skates under your feet, you know. You, you can't wait to get to the thing that is yours. Isn't that right? I tell you, our eternal bodies, it's kind of like that. We are living in a body now that is really temporary. So I marvel at ladies. They do a good job, you know, like every morning, makeup, paint, um, you know, like. Um, so, so it's like we try to dress up the now so that it looks so good that people don't see the decay that is actually in our lives. Is, is, isn't that a statement? Okay. And in this um, temporary place, um, there is a nakedness that we carry because of the sin nature. So can, can I say this, that we have been saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. We are going through the process of sanctification, and so we are currently being saved. And then the Bible says that we will be saved when he returns. Okay, you're going to get a new body. I'm hoping mine's 30 years old with no belly fat, okay? Um, but, but there's something about that body that is different from this body. And we'll, we see it like Philip the Evangelist when he's speaking to the eunuch. He gets to taste of the power of the age to come. He's preaching the gospel. And then suddenly Philip's not there. He's found in another town. Okay? But Jesus in his glorified body seems like doors weren't a problem to him. He kind of just walked through walls, you know? So you and I, it says in the Bible, I has not seen nor has ear heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And so you, you think like, wow, God. How is it that we are so sold out to this life that we are not investing in what is to come? All right? So the, temp the temporary body has um, a measure of um, nakedness. There is a weighing down. Um, there is a nakedness because of the fallen nature of, of, of the body. Um, how, many, how many have felt this? And this is my, my experience. Before I was saved, if, if I was doing something that was, you could never believe I'd do anything wrong, right? <laughs> If, if I was doing something that I knew was sinful, it wasn't a big issue. But once I came to Christ, it's like I couldn't do that anymore. My, my body still wanted to do it, but inside of me, I just wanted to please Him. Anyone ever experienced that, that kind of wrestle inside? Okay? So you can never win that wrestle by yourself. Okay? And we'll speak a little bit more about the deposit of the Holy Spirit. But, but can I say there's, there's a covering that we need because of where we are living in this temporary place. And um, I want to give you some examples from Scripture, so it's not just Steve's version. Um, Job chapter 10, verse 11 says, You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit me together with bones and sinews. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My just dealings 
were like a robe and a turban. Can I say, one of the ways that we put on clothing is to interact with our fellow man in a way that brings righteousness. Okay, by that I mean we would deal with our brother and our sister, our friend, the one that we know, the stranger, the same way Jesus would do it. And that kind of puts on a robe which is called righteousness, right relationship with God. If you had to stand before him one day, he's not going to nail you for that. Okay, so Job, Old Testament picture, says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. Um, Psalm 132 verse 9 says this, May your priests be clothed with integrity. May your loyal followers shout for joy. And, you know, Old Testament priests are different from where we at, okay? Because they, they had to belong to the tribe of Levi. But it says about the New Testament church, He has made us a kingdom of priests to serve our God. He's made us a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And so, to be clothed with integrity. Okay? So integrity is kind of like a garment you can put on. And, and you know, if, if you look at how you're living your life, um, if people had to see you, would they say, man, that's a woman of integrity. That's a man of integrity. There's something about how they're doing life that looks different from the way people are doing business. Okay? There ought to be something about the body of Christ, something about the believer that causes people to pause and say, yeah, that doesn't look like the world. It's something about the way that, and that's Old Testament. Okay? So when you look at some of the examples in New Testament, it says this. Um, oh, this is a tough one. This is a preaching itself. Um, Matthew 22, verse 11. So the scene there is that Jesus, or the, the Father, has a wedding feast that is prepared. All the people that are invited don't rock up. So he goes into the highways and the byways, and he pulls in all the people. And so, so the people that weren't originally intended to be there actually get invited. And in the feast, there's one person that does, does not have wedding clothes on. Okay, Remember that story? Okay, And so, so something happens there where the wedding clothes aren't on, and so the man gets bound and cast into utter darkness. And sometimes I wonder, I think like, your Lord, we live by principle. We live by, you know, we're like in the machine. And we're doing what the machine expects in terms of society. But we haven't put on Christ. We haven't put on salvation. We haven't put on the garment that covers the nakedness that we have. Second example I'll take will be from... Matthew, what's it, 22, verse 12. Oh, that's the one where he throws him out without the clothes. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Colossians 3, verse 10. We have been clothed with a new man that has been renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. We are being clothed with a new man that has been renewed in the knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. So if you go and read in, in um, Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see there's a whole progression there. It talks about, you know, <laughs> the, and I won't go into all of it, um, but once you get down to about halfway down the chapter, it speaks about coming to the full measure of Christ. Okay? So there's something that you and I get to do while we're in this temporary dwelling, this temporary space that God has put us in, 
that causes us to be clothed with the new man. And, and can I say that um, maybe part of the spirit man, part of the soul dimension of who we are, gets prepared in this age for the dwelling that God gives us in the age to come. There are no shortcuts. Okay? What I've experienced in life is if you don't get the lesson, you go around the mountain again. And you can go around the mountain again. You know? and, and God accomplishes the purpose that he has for us as we learn the lesson. He's a good father. He disciplines us because he loves us. Okay? And so we put on the new man. If people look at your life right now, do they see the old man? Or do they see the new man? How much of the new man do they see? Scary thing, eh? The only people that will honestly tell you that is not the greeter at the door on a Sunday morning. There are people that are walking with you, that are discipling you, that are helping you to walk this journey. The one who's called the way, the truth, and the life, he says, makes disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a walking out of faith. There's a putting on of the new man. Okay, When you're in your closet and nobody's watching, It's the new man and the work of the Holy Spirit that keeps you pure. When you're in front of people, you're more worried about your reputation. It's not you doing that. You're more worried about man. You fear man. But when you're in the quiet place, when you're in the closet, when you are with the Lord, it's the new man. Make sense? Okay. All right. And then the last one I'll pull out from the New Testament. There are lots of scriptures. I just picked a few. Luke chapter 24 verse 49 says, Look, I'm sending you what the Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And I really want to preach about this one day. Okay? So, so the Lord is telling the disciples, I've trained you for three and a half years. You have been educated by God. I've used parables, I've used examples, you've seen the miracles, you've seen the signs. Okay, You know who I am because of what God has done amongst you. And yet he says to them, you be waiting in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Right? And so sometimes I think we are deceived into thinking that the old man is strong enough to walk according to the principles that are revealed in the New Testament. And we are not totally dependent on God to work out in our lives what only the power of God can work out. Because we live in this temporary tent, because we are naked, we need the power of God to be able to declare the glories of God and live the life that points to God. Does that make sense? All right, so, so I'm preaching and everyone's going, <laughs> get off the stage. Don't like stages. Um, If I'd ask your best friend, for some of you it's your wife or your husband, and I'd say to them, can you see the power of God working in your spouse's life? Because right? you see, the thing is that we can fool a lot of the people a lot of the time. But once you spend a bit of time with people, the cracks that we have, they begin to show. Okay? We do not have the capacity to live the life in our own strength. We need the power of God. We desperately need the power of God. 
Okay. A couple of cool things happen that once that's on, it says these signs follow those who believe, you know. And uh, that's another preach. But um, can I encourage you? Don't settle for just following in your own strength. Desire and ask that the Lord would fill you with power so that you can be a testimony, so that you can point to Jesus, so that you can be the kind of person that God has called you to be. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about the one who's due north is Jesus. And every time I mess up, I repent, I get back into the place, and I ask him to fill me afresh. Okay? That picture of clay jars, a lot of those clay jars got cracks. They break easily. Okay, we leaky vessels by nature. We need to be continually filled with the power and the presence of God. Okay, I need to go to gym so I can jump up and down there better. Okay. All right, so... So what I've painted is a picture that while you're living in the temporary body, the temporary tent, the house that God has given us, we need help. Right? And I don't think anyone would debate that too strongly or think that they've arrived. Okay? I haven't arrived. I don't know any person that has arrived. But I know some pretty cool people that are on the journey of pushing into the more of God. Okay? And so let's rely on what God has given us. So the next item we're going to talk about is the earnest money, the deposit of God. And kind of touched a bit on that already. Um, I'm going to read a few phrases that came to mind just as I thought about the earnest. So some of us will put our money, you know, hard dollars. If you come from South Africa, it would be shaky rands. But in America, it's hard dollars, okay? And um, that would demonstrate how serious you are about buying the property. And in fact, if you didn't follow through with it, it would cost you a lot. Because you put that deposit down, and if you don't follow through, you don't get to keep the deposit. So God doesn't give you one of the things that he created. He gives you the innermost part of God. He gives you the Holy Spirit, the one who knows the very desire and heart of the Father. The one who is also the power of God. Okay, He gives that one as a deposit. So that if he didn't follow through, in a sense, God himself would be torn apart. Because a third of him would sit in humanity separated forever does that make sense so, so god absolutely intends to complete what he said he would do the earnest is a guarantee it will happen right? and this is what he's like this earnest is like no other it's not like you know, it's almost like he's taken it and he's given it to you and you get to benefit from the interest that is now in your account because the holy spirit cannot be just a vague concept. He cannot just be immobile if he's truly the Lord of your life and leading you. Because the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Romans chapter 8. Is that not what it says? Okay. And so this is what he's like. He says, um, he's just like Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, it is for your benefit that I go to the Father. Because unless I go to the Father, he will not send the helper who is the Holy Spirit. And he says about this, about the Holy Spirit. He's just like me. It's just like me. I always used to think, like, yeah, man, if I could have lived 2,000 years ago, just saw Jesus walking on those dusty roads, see those miracles, that would have been enough for me. But we are the most privileged of people. We live in the time from, between the resurrection and the return of Christ. We get to have God live in us. We get to have the deposit of the Holy Spirit in every genuine believer. Okay? It's not a cheap thing. It's a huge thing. And Jesus says, he's just like me. He's the gift of the Father. He is in essence God. Isn't it amazing how like, 
you know, the pauper hits the fan. Oh, I don't know what they say in the United States, but like you get the idea. And like usually we run, you know, like, pastor, pastor, help me, like pray for me. Or, you know, we have this like third person relationship with God. Um, I call it like second-hand Christianity. You know, like we all got faith sitting in the seat on a Sunday morning. But when we face the trial of fire, it's like, God, where are you? God, where are you? Okay. And uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing that the very essence of who God is dwells in us. That's the, that's the nature of the deposit. It's, it's not a mini Holy Spirit. It's not a tiny part of God. It is fully God, or He is fully God. How many people do what I just did? I called Him it. He's not the force. He's not some vague idea. He's not just like, I get this impression that maybe I should do that. All right? The whole of Scripture is breathed by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? And so there are dimensions in God, in the Spirit, that we haven't even begun to plumb. We, we kind of put them on the shelf because, man, for us to go there, means we're going to have to think a bit. We're going to have to change our lives a bit. We're going to have to yield a bit. We're going to have to see who God really is. And these bodies would literally become living sacrifices. Because once you see God, once you perceive who He is, you can never be the same again. He's like, He's amazing. Okay? And um, so this is the deposit. He's in essence God. That's the treasury in earthen vessels. I want to say something about earthen vessels. Um... So these bodies, when God created them, made them out of the clay, we heard, breathed into them, and they became living beings. So we have the breath of God in us. Um, and in Jesus' time, you often saw situations where demons were cast out of people. And those demonic spirits or disembodied spirits also look for places to stay. So there's something about spirit and soul that needs to live in a body, needs to live in a tent. Okay, and so sometimes we don't understand that because we, you know, to us our flesh and blood is more real than things of spirit. Okay? In fact, Jesus says this, like, you know, these things of the spirit, if, if he speaks about them, unless you're born of spirit, you cannot even see or perceive it. You know what, what he said to Nicodemus? And so understand that this vessel, this tent, this place of meeting was designed for you. You were given a tent. We get to host the Holy Spirit. Not supposed to be anything else there. Just God and you. Amen? All right. He's also called the teacher. He's also called the power of God. He's called the river of God. I love Al's been sharing with me Ezekiel 47 from the throne of God. It's flowing a river. And people are in different places in that river. Some of them are ankle deep. Some are knee deep. Some are waist deep. Um, but the river of God, if you look at the picture and you look in Revelation, he's actually speaking about the Holy Spirit. And there's something about the Holy Spirit, the flow of the river of God, that says wherever that river flows, whatever it touches, dead things come to life. Healing comes. You know? And it's like, you know, so, sometimes, don't, don't you find that? You read it and say, oh, God, that's cool. But do we see it? Is it evident working in our lives? Or is it just something that happened long ago and God doesn't do that anymore? God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same God. Okay? So the deposit, the earnest money. He's also the teacher and the counselor. He's the parakletos, the one who comes alongside. And um, where's Blake? 
Is he upstairs? Okay, so Blake was sharing this cool thing with me. He's felt um, he needs to push more into counseling type ministry. And part of what he's doing is like just studying, like what does counseling look like? And he's discovered that the Holy Spirit is the best counselor. You know, so part of the counseling that he's doing, he's finding the Holy Spirit showing him a whole lot of stuff that just helps him in, in counseling. Isn't that amazing? Is he your counselor? Because you have the deposit. You have the guarantee that says there's a new body coming. Okay? So, um, many times we mess up, and I think one of my favorite passages is in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And maybe I'll read it through you. It just says, Moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. So this is my exhortation and my encouragement to you. That because you have the deposit, even though we live in a body that is fallen, that is still not redeemed fully as it will be at the end of the age, the spirit of God quickens mortal flesh. He gives you the capacity to be alive. He, you know, he makes up for the blemishes and the breakages that are in us so that, and I, I love to think of it as, as this picture is like, how come Adam and Eve never knew they were naked in the garden? I mean, they had eyes, right? They could see. Maybe they were just covered with the glory of God. So you couldn't see the nakedness. You know? And so the Holy Spirit, in a sense, brings the glory of God to dwell within these earthen jars. And the more we let him lead, the more he becomes evident in our lives, the more we reflect the glory of God. The more we don't see the nakedness, but we see the glory. Isn't that a good picture? Okay. All right. Okay, talk about the Home Rewards Program, number three. Is anyone challenged? Okay, so I'm not trying to teach like straight exegetical kind of stuff. I'm trying to stir you up so that you go for the more. Amen? All right. Okay, so the Home Rewards Program of the kingdom. I've said to you already that at the beginning of your salvation, you were saved. The Bible speaks about being saved. In other words, the, pro the road of sanctification, that we will be saved. And I kind of want to pause here and say that if you sign up for a credit card rewards program or a home rewards program, you can be a member of the program. But if you don't participate in the program, you remain a member with no benefits. You only get the benefits by doing what the program says you must do. Isn't that what it says? Okay, so Jesus says, if you give a child just a glass of water, you will by no means lose your reward. The challenge this morning, I think, before I even talk about the other points is, what is your rewards program looking like? You see, Lynn and I are married, one flesh, been married for 38 years, which keeps me on the straight and narrow, keeps me humble. Okay. Um, but one day she's going to have to answer for who Lynn Moss is. She's going to stand before the Lord and she's going to be a good, well done, good and faithful servant. Or she's going to be like the one that man, even the clothes are smoking and, and like Jesus says, shame and just let me pull you up here. All right? I'm going to have to stand before him. 
and give an account. And I, I hope it's not like this, but um, and maybe it's like this. You have this video playing of everything you've done in life. And kind of it plays out and the whole world gets to see because it's eternity, right? Never going to run out of time. There'll be enough time for everyone to have their video played. And everyone will see that the Lord is just, that the Lord is good, and that the reward that is given is, in fact, appropriate. But what is your rewards program looking like? Okay, so I'm not telling you to work so that you are saved. I'm saying now that you are saved, do what God's called you to do. You are no longer who you were. You are now adopted into the family of God. You have an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, waiting for you. Part of that inheritance is the new body that you'll get in the kingdom. Man, imagine what more there is. So, do you guys think about stuff like this? Is it only me? It's like... Or is life so tough that we're just trying to get to tomorrow? Right? Because that, that's the deception of the enemy. Keeping you so busy that these eternal things are not on your agenda. Yeah? Watching movies, TV, nothing bad with that. But man, if you have not sought first the kingdom of heaven, if you have not pushed into these areas so that they are what you're about, in a sense, we're not redeeming the time. So I don't, I don't want to put a performance thing on you, but I want to put the expectation that God's got more for you. There's a reward. He loves you so much that he's got a reward for you. There's a parable that Jesus tells about um, the talents, and, and some of that maybe is for this age. Some of it's for the age to come. And, and there's a saying that comes out of that says, he who's faithful in little is faithful in much. Okay? So when it comes to the rewards program of the kingdom, it's not just rewards for you. It's like, the, it's a kingdom, right? You, you understand what a kingdom is? It's not a democracy. We don't get to vote, hey, God, we think you're good enough. Okay, he is the king. It's a theocracy. It's where God is on top. Okay, and in his kingdom, there's structure. In his kingdom, there's authorities, there's powers and there's principalities. There's rule and there's reign. When Jesus comes in and rules for a thousand years, is he the only God that's busy doing that? Or will he be looking for those who have been faithful? And he knows they've been faithful in little and so I can trust them with much. Okay? Much more than just salvation. Okay? So in the early church, you saw there were many people that were martyred for the name of Christ. And I, I have to think like, man, Lord, what did they see? That they would see their own women and children fed to wild animals. And they themselves would be crucified upside down, sawn in half, burnt. Because of something they saw, something they believed. Something about a kingdom that is not passing away. Something that is more than just the first death. Okay? Because that's what God had in mind. Okay? It's a mess if you look at the world right now. But thank God there's Jesus. And he is coming again. So can I ask you to stand? Um, I'm going to ask Tinika just to play that very first song. I know they've probably got like a planned worship thing. But the very first song that we, that we sang as we opened. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pray a little bit. And I'm going to challenge you just to also make an adjustment um, in your life. 
So even as I, as I shared um, a little bit right at the beginning and I asked you, what stood out to you from David's preach? Um, there is a responsibility that comes from hearing the gospel, from hearing the word of God. If what you've received just sits on the shelf and you do nothing with it, you're like the man who takes the talent that was given to him and you bury it in the ground. And when the Lord returns, all you can do is pull it out of the ground and say, I knew, here's your gift that you gave me. And I'm trusting this morning that you are not like that steward, but you'll be faithful in the little so that when God comes, He'll give you the more. And so if every head bowed. I know there's some here this morning that you know about Jesus, but He's not the Lord of your life. He's not the one who has dominion in everything that you do. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to slip your hand up and say, I want to change that. This morning, I want to repent of my sin. I want to repent of my brokenness. I want to, I want to inherit this new eternal tent that the Lord is preparing. And I don't want to be found naked. So is anyone here this morning, you want to make that commitment for the first time? You know about Him, but He's not the Lord of your life. You're not living with Him as Lord of your life. Is anyone here this morning? Can I say, don't worry about the person next to you. They're not going to stand with you when you face Jesus. Is there anyone? Okay. So I want to speak to the second category of people. You've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you're not living flat out for Him right now. And the deposit that God has given, the earnest money of God, You've kind of put him in a box. You've put him in a room. But you're still on the driving seat on the throne of your life. But this morning you feel challenged. I want to let God be God. I want to let him move in my life with power. I want to be clothed. I want to put on righteousness. If you're here this morning, you're feeling challenged. God's wanting to do that. Don't you slip your hand up. Thank you, Lord. I see a whole lot of hands going up your hands down. Is anyone else? Alright, so I'm going to pray into that and we're going to sing this song. Can I, can I say that you cannot oh, I don't know how to say this. You cannot park the information that you've just received and do nothing with it. God's Word is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce and discern the very things of the heart. Separate sinew from muscle and bone and it gets into the spirit of a man, the spirit of a woman, and lays bare where we're really at. And so, Father, I pray for those that have raised their hands right now, that, Lord, that they're going to walk into the more, that they're going to encounter you, Lord, in ways that they've never dreamed possible, that, Lord, they're going to take you out of the box. They're going to say, God, come and have your way. And that, Lord, in a sense, you're going to work revival, restoration, renewal, like a, a breaking out of the kingdom of heaven that is at hand. So Lord, I want to pray for us corporately that in these bodies, in everything we think and do, that we're going to point to you, Jesus, because you're worthy of honor and glory. You are the risen king. You are the soon coming king. And so this morning we want to bow our knees and say, Jesus, come and have your way. 
Jesus, come and have your way with our lives. Let's sing this song and then we'll move into a close.